This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast with Chef Mary Mammoliti. Pineapple on pizza is blank. Canadian. Good answer. I would have said wrong, but... <laughs> you know that, right? That's another thing that, that I discovered from the book. It was invented. It's in, Canadian? It was invented in Chatham, Ontario. Come on. Invented in Chatham, Ontario by a Greek immigrant who owned a Chinese restaurant. He just died recently. And he said the reason why he thought of it is because they put a lot of pineapple in, in those dishes, in those kind of old-fashioned Chinese restaurants that have a hundred things on the menu. I mean, well, God rest his soul, but, but it was just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's Mark Cirillo. He's a food writer, author of Pizza Cultura, and one quarter of the fabulous four that make up Cucinato, an Italian culinary studio located in Toronto's Corso Italia. Mark, thanks for coming on the show. I can't wait to talk all things food with you. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here and excited to talk to you. So I'm not even going to waste any more time. I'm just going to dive right in. And I'm going to start with, how did you get started as a food writer? You know what? I have to think about that for a minute because it just, it sort of happened organically. I, um, I have been working uh, kind of as a freelance writer and a little bit as a, as a marketing consultant, uh, always kind of in the communications field for you know at least the last decade or so. And uh, you know, food has always been a theme; it's always been a passion of mine. And um, you know, I, I you know I'm not quite sure if it was the chicken or the egg, but you know, in the last say maybe six to eight years I started working with you know some people like Massimo Bruno who's now a partner a business partner of mine the Italian Chamber of Commerce um, uh, Grande Cheese is another uh, company that I've done work with so there was various companies and organizations that I was doing work with that who's you know who are basically in the, the food industry but in the Italian culture industry and the food writing kind of came out of that. But then, you know, I guess, you know, er, pretty early on, I realized it was just an interesting subject for me. So we kind of created a, a little blog and, and, a, and a brand called, you know, at the time we were calling it Cucina Tio. And so I did some writing on that. You know, the, the two things kind of came together almost organically. Well, I was also looking at your book. Pizza Cultura. Pizza Cultura, yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, I, I honestly, I loved it. I just, I just kept on kind of thumbing through it, and I couldn't stop at one point. But I did want to know what was the driving force behind Pizza Cultura, and like, where did the idea come from? Well, you know what, the idea sort of, the idea actually came from uh, Corrado Paina, who's uh, who is the director of the Italian Chamber of Commerce. And Corrado's an interesting guy. He, um, you know, he had this idea that, you know, wouldn't it be great to do uh, a book on pizza because it sort of became so ubiquitous so quickly that I think people don't necessarily appreciate its origins and uh, or its its essence, if you will. And um, of course, the Chamber of Commerce being, you know, in the um, in the business of promoting. Uh, you know, uh, information and cultural exchange between the, you know, Canada and, and Italy. Uh, he was, he, he, he really kind of pushed the idea. He was, he was excited about the idea. And, and I, 
you know, it, 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 uh, I basically, you know, um, after talking to him a few times, I thought, yeah, you know, this, this sounds like an interesting project. I'm going to do it. And so um, I wrote the book and the Chamber of Commerce uh, kind of, um, you know, acted as the publisher and, you know, the enabler, like, you know, they, you know, they, they helped set up a lot of the interviews, especially with people in Italy, you know, I mean, like we, it was fantastic. I mean, I got to, I got to talk to, you know, some of the, the, the best and most famous uh, pizza makers in the world, um, you know, uh, because of, you know, the, the connections with the, with the chamber. Did you so, get to taste? Did you yes, get to taste test? <laughs> yes. Yeah. We, I, I tasted oh, a lot of pizza. I can and also, only imagine. Uh, yeah. And it was great. Like uh, the one, you know, the one guy in particular who, you know, there's a whole kind of chapter dedicated to him in the book uh, was Franco, Franco Pepe, his little pizzeria in a remote place called Cayazzo in the mountains, this medieval village, you know, has been named for, for two years in a row, the best pizzeria in, in Italy. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible. Um, and I was lucky enough to not only to interview him, but then, you know, you know, he came over here, uh, for an event for the, for the launch of the book and, you know, you know, mm-hmm. made some pizza. <laughs> so I got to oh you know, try amazing. My mouth is watering just thinking about it. All right. So we're going to play a couple of games. You ready for it? I think so, yeah. All right. First game, this or that. The choice is yours. You can get with this or you can get with that. I'm going to give you two words. Just select which one you think suits you best. Salty or sweet? Salty. Pizza or pasta? Pasta. (laughs) Toilet paper. Over or under? Oh, under 100%. Really? Yeah, it's got to be under. Oh, we're going to have to take this conversation further after. (laughs) (laughs) Toothpaste. Do you squeeze from the middle or the bottom? Uh, I squeeze from the middle until it starts to get, you Yes, and then I, I changed my strategy. <laughs> there was a part in your book where you mentioned that this fascinated me. That in the 1950s, pizza was seen as peasant food mm-hmm. because they ate it with their hands, mm-hmm. and that many people were offended by that. And now, fast forward to today, it's developed into this fancier meal, even though you're still eating with your hands. But then, in come the San Martino tomatoes, double zero flour. Can you explain a little bit about like the San Martino tomato and the the importance of like double zero flour when it comes to making pizza? Yeah, I mean, it's those are things that really come from the place of the origin, right? So like the San Martino tomatoes, it's, you know, the tomato itself, is it, it's a funny thing where, you know, it's it's not a native Italian plant. It came from South America. The crazy thing is that it came to Italy as a decorative plant and <laughs> people thought it was poisonous. Really? They didn't, yeah, they didn't even know you could eat the fruit of this plant until several hundred years after uh, it had been brought over from South America. And, you know, and then when people start, you know, they realize that you could use the fruit, um, you know, it, it just so happened that that area uh, of Italy, the Vesuvius area was really where an area where it just prospered it just really it took to that climate there was something about the soil in that area and the climate so san marzano tomatoes are legendary because of, there's something about the property there's a few other varieties but san marzano is the most famous there's something about the the climate in 
the region around uh, Mount Vesuvius and the, you know, the quality of the soil and the, and the climate, it just makes this fantastic tomato that just... It's got like a know, sweetness you, to it, doesn't it? It's got a sweetness and a density of flavor that's just, you know, it's, it's, it is very hard to repl- replicate. And when you cook that down, it's kind of like a velvety finish to it, is what I noticed. Yeah, it's just... Uh, but, but it's also just fantastic. I mean, the way they would do it in, in, a, in a pizzeria in Naples is literally... You know, you, you've you got the preserved tomatoes. Sometimes they'll use fresh, but that's a slightly different style of pizza. But the, it's the preserved tomato that's already been peeled and it's in its juice. You just, mm-hmm. you crush it with your hands. You add a little, just a pinch of salt and basil and you leave it for, you know, maybe half an hour. And then it's good to go. And then you just spread that on the pizza and you, you know, like a, a Neapolitan pizza, it's baked for you know, less than two minutes in 900 degrees and you've got your pizzas. And the reason why they use the double zero flour is it's because it's a finer flour, is it not? For sure. It's extremely fine fat flour. So it's the finest flour that exists. Um, so there's just, it has a distinctive lightness to it. You know, the sort of the caveat there is that double zero is for sure the gold standard. Uh, but, you know, there are, a variety of double zero flowers like Italy is just crazy for the number there's like hundreds or thousands thousands of flowers I don't know there's so many uh, but uh, so there's not only they're different brands but you know if you talk about somebody like we were talking about uh, Franco Pepe earlier somebody like that who's a you know a, a skilled pizza maker really a pizza chef I would call him um, he has his own blend so those, you know, your question about the San Marzano tomatoes, um, they really, uh, you know, of course they've always been, you know, kind of like the the, the gold standard of a of a plum tomato, mm-hmm. partly because they're they're great and possibly and partly because that's that's where I mean tomato sauce itself comes from Naples. That's that 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 thing that's so iconic, whether it's on. Uh, pasta or pizza, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's that area in Campania where where it was was created. Um, so it's it's partly about the origin. It's partly about the the quality of the thing. And then the third thing, the third factor that made it kind of very famous that it, that at this point many people know what a San Marzano tomato is, is that uh, around the eighties or so the 1980s, I guess I would say early 80s, um, there started to be the formation of these things called consortiums. They existed in the past, but they were more for things like, you know, like a, like a variety of wine or cheese. But in Naples, for the first time in the 1980s, there was a group of people, they were pizzerias really, the, old, the oldest pizzerias in the city, that came together and tried to put on paper what is, you know, an authentic Neapolitan pizza, which, I mean, you can imagine, you know, I, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall, like, you know, in that room, like, I'm sure, mm-hmm. you know, these, these, these families that have been making pizza for, you know, hundreds of years, got together and tried to agree on what, what were the, the basic principles of a pizza, how you made it and what were the, what were the essential ingredients. 
but you know, it was. I out think of we can that. almost play that out. I think we can almost play that out in our heads. Yeah, <laughs> already would, know a lot of loud pretty, talking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And remember, <laughs> and we're gestures. Naples here, right? I mean, not yeah. known, not known for being like a you know a, a relaxed, a chilled out kind of. I mean, it's very animated <laughs> culture. So it sounds, you know, and that was another thing that was great about the book. I got to talk to Antonio Pace, who was the, the founder of the consortium. He's still around and he's, he's the president still. But um, so those guys, you know, it was kind of humble at first, but then it became this global thing where, you know, today there are Neapolitan style pizzerias everywhere in the world, whether you're talking about Buenos Aires or uh, Toronto or Tokyo. I mean, they have these pizzerias that are basically emulating that style of pizza. And when you think about that and you look at the style of pizza and then you think about the style of pizza that we grew up with in a place like Toronto, you can see how it's different and why, you know, why these guys might have at a certain point said, hey, we want to put a stake in the ground and say, this is the true Neapolitan pizza. <laughs> so we're going to go to rapid fire. Name five foods you always keep in your fridge at all times. Well, let's see. Tomato, uh, milk, uh, uh, what else? Eggs, some kind of vegetable like uh, celery and, and, and carrots, mm -hmm. and uh, tomato paste is always in there. Favorite snack? Favorite snacks, honestly, is uh, crusty bread and cheese, and oh, so uh, a little, a little, a little. <laughs> no. Nice hard cheese. But, uh, I, I'm a real sucker for aged cheese. Yeah, I love. So good. I love the stinkier the better. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm with you. So, a celebrity you would love to cook for? To cook for? Oh, wow, geez. Uh, I don't know. You got me there. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking like celebrity chefs, but who would I cook for? If we're talking Italian, if we're talking Italian, we could say Giovanotti just because he would be fun to talk to. You know, just the conversation would be interesting <laughs> while, mm -hmm. while I'm cooking. <laughs> okay, this one to me is near and dear to my heart. Okay. Pineapple on pizza is blank. Canadian. Good answer. I would have said wrong, but <laughs> you know that, right? Because that's <laughs> another thing that that I discovered from the book. It was invented. It's in, Canadian. It was invented. In Chatham, Ontario. Come on. It's in the book. Invented in Chatham, Ontario by a Greek immigrant who owned a Chinese restaurant. Oh, that's a book in itself. He just died recently. And he said the reason why he thought of it is because at the China, I mean, you're talking about like American style Chinese food. I mean, that's mm -hmm, probably mm -hmm. not what they eat in China. But, uh, but he said like they put a lot of pineapple in in those dishes, in those kind of old fashioned, you know, Chinese restaurants that have a hundred things on the menu. And it just, mm -hmm. he said like, that's what gave him the idea of putting pineapple on the pizza. I mean, well, God rest his soul, but, but it was just <laughs> wrong. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It, but this is the amazing thing though. Do you remember there was this controversy? Like this, I think it was about a year or so ago the the president of Iceland made a comment, like it should be outlawed just as a joke. But then it went completely yes. viral all over the yes, world. Yes, I remember this. Right? So, But that shows you. But that was incredible to me. I thought, here's this thing that was invented in Chatham, Ontario. Love it or hate it. 
and it's a global phenomenon. It's like people global. are debating it in Australia and and New Zealand and uh, yeah, in Iceland. It's one of those hot topic questions. I'm Mary Mamalidi, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Today I'm talking with Mark Cirillo, author of Pizza Cultura, food writer, and restaurateur. Publishing your first book, has that changed your process of writing? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Has it changed my process of writing? Um, I think that it, it, uh, it made me just do it in, in a little bit more than I might if I'm doing an article. I think I tend to be like, you know, I take too long to just do it. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and when you're doing a book, it's like, and I, I kind of had the the blessing and the curse of like, you know, a, a pretty short timeline. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, I would say that at first, when I first started doing the book, I thought, oh, you know, I've got basically six months to do this. This might be. I, I was feeling a little bit unsure about it, uh, but but then I just, I don't know. I just kind of put my head down and I, I think, you know, just having to do that much writing in that short of time, it just, you know, it, it did teach me to um, just to be efficient because, you know, if you're doing an article or a shorter piece, I find sometimes that you don't focus as much as you should until it's like really, you know, you're, you're, you're close to your deadline. Whereas with a book project, I mean, you're, <laughs> like you, you know, you, that's just not an option. Right. So, yeah, uh, yeah. so yeah, I think it, I think it, it allowed me to, in a way, just kind of relax a little bit more and just sort of like get the information out there, uh, like, you know, and just decisive and quick in my decision making as a writer. What are common traps for aspiring food writers that they may run into? It's kind of an odd time for writing and for content because, you know, there, there aren't the budgets that there used to be. Um, mm-hmm. Would you, you know, attribute that to social media? Because everything is online and so accessible and free, that so, so that there's yeah. video because everything's was, free. Yeah. There aren't the uh, there aren't the advertising dollars, and therefore, uh, you know, the the editorial departments of you know uh, media, it's just it's just a, like it's a fraction of what it used to be. So therefore, most writing is you know kind of amateur writing these days, and I mean that in a bad way, but it's just sort of like. You know, you don't have the budgets to pay people to be full-time journalists, and so, you know, I don't, I don't know. You're, you're, you're asking sort of about the, the uh, pitfalls, but um, you know, maybe a bigger problem is to sort of figure out, like, if you want to do food writing, like, where, 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 <laughs> where does that fit in, and how can you do it? You know, and uh, and then the second thing is, you know, the easiest thing is to kind of you know be sort of a generic food blogger where you you know have you you kind of you know get a lot of free stuff and go to a bunch of free events and you're expected to you know announce that there's a new restaurant opening and that kind of stuff but it sort of depends like what you're interested but if you're interested in the food you know i think you know the, the thing is to just you know write about the thing and then and then try to find an audience uh because uh, yeah, these days it's, there aren't that many jobs out there. It's not like somebody hired you to do this podcast, right? So you're you're doing it because you're passionate about it, and then you're trying to find an audience and some way to to make it economically viable. I think that's just sort of the way it works these days, whether you like it or not, you know. And I figure if I'm passionate about it, there are other people out there that are as well. That's right. Yeah, for sure. You know, and just 
trying to reconnect people back to food and the kitchen and not looking for that quick, you know, pick up and, and run and walk and eat while you while you're walking to the next stop. You know, it, it's just it's kind of hoping that people will reconnect back with the kitchen. Yeah. yeah. And, the, you know, and, the, you know, from a media perspective. I mean, the bad news is that, there, you know, there aren't the budgets there used to be. But the good news is that, you know, you can you can do things like this podcast in a way that you couldn't do in the past. You know, I mean, it's uh, that's right. Uh, I'm thankful so, for that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's 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 just a different, uh, you know, for somebody who's, you know, I'm not in my 20s. <laughs> so I remember how things used to be and how they are now. And it's just sort of like understanding what the opportunities are and uh, and making the most of them. A little while ago, and you told me something that I found really interesting about when pizza came to Toronto, mm-hmm. who started and who actually taught or trained other places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I found uh, really interesting. You know, I got to talk to um, to Eddie Pugliese, who's the uh, the only surviving brother. He opened the first pizzeria in Toronto. It's called Vesuvio, and it's actually still there uh, on on Dundas Street, Street West, just a little bit uh, west of Kill Street. And he came from basically the Reggio Calabria uh, region. And so he was, he and his brothers were just kind of late teens at the time. And they were in Pennsylvania for a couple of years and they came down and they were visiting their, their cousins and their cousins basically said, you know, there's no pizza in Toronto. <laughs> like, you know, you guys should come open a pizzeria. Like there's all this, you know, because at that time, you know, it was like uh, 19, I, I guess it was mid fifties. Cause you know, that was when the wave the wave of immigration started happening here in Toronto. So they said, you know, the, the cousin said, well, you know, you should come down. And and sure enough, they went to a little bakery in, in New York City, which was called Vesuvio. And they taught, you know, they learned how to make pizza. And yeah, they came here in the late 50s. And it was, you know, instantly like very popular in the Italian neighborhoods. But it didn't take long for it to spread, you know, to the to the greater culture. But um, so that was Eddie Pugliese in, in Vesuvio. And it just, it was a very popular place. He told me, at its, you know, in its heyday, they would get over 300 people there, you know, on a Saturday night, and it would be open, you know, very late. So it was a real kind of cultural place too. And so many of the, you know, iconic businesses uh, around Toronto, like whether it's, you know, Pizza Pizza or Regina's Pizza on on um, on college, you know, or just there's so many of these uh, iconic places that were kind of came out of Vesuvio. Now on to Cucinato. Cucinato, yes. Frank and I had the pleasure of attending the Calabrese class uh, with Chef Luciano. And we had a fantastic evening, but everyone else needs to know about this. Tell me a bit about Cucinato. What does the name mean? Where did the idea come from? I want to know all about it. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, So... The uh, cucinato, it's um, you know, it's 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 an idea that's been uh, kind of uh, it's been kind of germinating for uh, I, I would say I, I, I'm going to say about four or five years. Like we we um, myself and some of my collaborators. So uh, Massimo Bruno, who I'd mentioned, I think earlier in this podcast, is, is another chef who's uh, part of that. Um, we have been talking about 
um, cr creating something it's kind of a cultural thing it's 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 about the food but it's about it's about italian culture but here in toronto so um so so cucinato uh i actually came up with the the name um again about four or five years ago and you know it was kind of a pun so cucinato means cooked but you know as you know there's kind of this convention like blog to so Cucina Tio, Cucina Toronto. So it was this idea of, you know, you know, Italian food, but not just from a nostalgic perspective. Of course, we love tradition and we're very interested in tradition, but we're also interested in the present and, you know, where things are going. And, you know, we're, we're in Toronto. We're not in, we're not in uh, Calabria. Uh, so it's, it's just sort of like a way to convey, uh, you know, what the, what the history of food is and, and you know where things come from, but not in this, not necessarily in a nostalgic way. What I do like to do is ask all my guests to share one of their kitchen confessions with me. Funny, I remember one, but frankly, it wasn't. It was kind of a it was a mixed one, and that was like many years ago when my sister and I were probably like in our teens and we thought that we knew how to cook but we didn't necessarily know that much and we uh there we had a we had a party it might have been new year's or something like that and we thought we thought we we're going to make this fancy dinner and it was something that we didn't really know what we were doing and the, i forget the exact details but the gist of it is that my sister she had this recipe and it said something about stock and we didn't have stock so she went and she got the she bought the powdered stuff, but we never used that stuff. And so she put like when they say like put in this much stock, she, <laughs> she put in that much powder. <laughs> so, oh, no. so I didn't actually do it, but I was there and I saw and I didn't think anything of it until we tasted the food. And the, it was just like the whole effing dinner was just like, no, that's garbage. We're gonna phone for a pizza. <laughs> So, <laughs> and there was, was your kitchen confession. That was sort of like, <laughs> you should have asked Nona or Mama or something, but like, don't think, you know. So That is hilarious. That, that's like a lesson in humility. That was, I, oh. I, I mean, I think I've had some, some mishaps, but that was, that was the worst one I can remember. It was just like, literally like one taste and like, nope, that's not going to, that's not going to work <laughs> at all. <laughs> It's that time we've reached the end of another show. Be sure to visit kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. I'd like to thank producer and editor Matt Agnew, and I'm Mary Memolidi. See you at the next episode.